Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. We're in a series uh, through the book of John, and we're going to do half of it. Uh, you know, we're in the half of it now, and we're going to finish uh, the second half in February. And the entire book, um, John is obsessed with uh, this question, what is love? What does real love look like? And he uses the life of Jesus as a guide to find the answer to the question, what is love? Now, uh, I know something's true of you because it's true of me. We get asked a lot of questions every day. Where are my parents at? You get a lot of questions. Can I have a snack? When's lunch? Can I have a snack? <laughs> When's dinner? Can I have a snack? Now, you get questions like, how are you? What would you like to have for dinner? How was your day? Do you have homework? What did you do today? What did you learn at school today? Will you help me put the kids to bed? A lot of questions every single day. You ask and answer a lot of questions. Now, there are some questions that are a little bit more important than others, a little bit more important because they create this chain reaction. They create a chain reaction that can change your day, your week, maybe even your life. I know that sounds a little dramatic, but stick with me. Questions like, should I try out for this team? Will you go to prom with me? Will you be my girlfriend or boyfriend? What college should I go to? Will you marry me? Do you accept this job offer? Should we buy this house? Should we have kids? The questions are important, but the life-changing potential is in the response. The question's important, but the life Changing potential is in the response. Should I try out for this team, yes or no? may seem like a simple question and a simple answer, but however you answer that question determines how you spend your time in school, who you spend your time with, and how well you even do in school. Will you go to prom with me? Will you be my girlfriend? Small questions, seemingly small questions. I asked this question once to a girl, and now we have a mortgage together. The response matters. The questions are important. The response matters. What, sh what college should I go to? Will you marry me? Do you accept this job offer? Should I buy this house? Should we have kids? These responses, these questions and the response that you give to them, they have the potential to determine so many things in your life. My point is this. How very different, how very different the outcome can be depending on the response. Depending on the response that you give to a question, how very different life can be for you. I mean, you're here today because you answered yes to this question. Want to go to church? Because if you said no, you wouldn't be here. How very different the outcome. If you think about it, this is, this is really how life works. Life is just a series of forks in the road of decisions, of questions, and how you answer those questions, how you respond to those, will send you this way or that way. Life is full of what I'll call today call and response moments. There's calls, 
and you respond. There's a call, and you respond. And, and certainly, that's what we see time and time again in the Bible. Most of the Bible is God calling and people responding. Interestingly enough, uh, not responding is a way of responding. Not giving an answer, not responding is a way of responding. In the Gospels, we see a lot of great things. We see miracles and parables and sermons. But one thing that Jesus does that we sometimes can overlook is he always leaves the ball in someone else's court. There's a call and a response. A call and a response. We see a ton of that in the life of Jesus, especially in John's account, like this interaction we see in the beginning of of John 5, where we'll start today. We see Jesus entering into Jerusalem, and and there was a pool there surrounded by by roofed columns. Uh, These columns or colonnades would would provide shade for the people who were were sitting there. So this spot, um, they, they believed it had the ability to heal. If you got into the water, if you, you had a sickness or an illness, you could, you could be healed by getting into this water. But there was a catch. There was a catch because they believed that there was an angel in the waters that would stir up the waters just one time a day. So when they would see the water start to, to stir up, there would be a mad dash of people, of blind, of paralyzed, of crippled people, sick people, people looking to be to feel better, to be better, dashing to be the first person into the water. The first person to be into the water. And this is where Jesus enters into the scene. It says this, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. I don't know how old he was, but for 38 years, he had been sick. For 38 years, He'd, he'd had this problem. Maybe his, his whole life, maybe at least half of his life. It says this in verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Now, what kind of question is this? Of course. Of course. Why wouldn't he want to be healed? He, he's sitting near the water. He's sitting near the water. Of course, you would imagine his answer would be, would be yes. Yes, Jesus, of course I do. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. He gives an excuse. He says, I, I can't make it to the water. So I just sit here. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Now, uh, if you were here in the spring, you would have seen me supporting this fashionable item, this boot. And ironically enough, our lead pastor, Gerald, also was supporting a boot. Both right legs. It was kind of crazy. If you've ever broken your arm or your leg or any, any, any part of you, it's, it's incredibly frustrating it's incredibly frustrating because you have to wear this or you have crutches or maybe even a wheelchair, you have to have surgery. It's, it's not fun. It was, it was my first experience breaking a, a major bone and, and it, was, it was frustrating. It was hard. It made life a lot more difficult. 
Most of us, uh, we have pain that, that is, is not um, seen by a boot or crutches. Most of us have pain uh, that cannot be seen on the outside. We have, we have loss. We have abuse. We ha- we've had a, a, ch- a hard childhood. We've been put in hard situations in life. And, and the pain has scarred us. Maybe some of you, uh, you have, have hurt from church, from, from a religious past of yours. Maybe some of us have given up hope and you feel like this is just the way that life is. Maybe you're, you're, you're similar to the guy by the pool and you're just like, well, this is how life is. This is just the way it has to be. This pain I feel, these scars that I have, it's just the way that life is. And it probably feels like there's nothing that you can do to change it. Now, on the other end, some of us, we like our pain. We like the pain that we have because it gives us an excuse. It allows us to act a certain way. We use it as a crutch. We get attention because of our pain. It gets us out of trouble. We use it, although it's deeply scarred us and it's real. We use it to act, behave, or respond in a certain way. Oh, you can't get mad at me for responding that way. I have hurt from my past. I have hurt from my past, so you can't get mad at me, right? And while your pain or your abuse or your trauma may be very real. You aren't made to sit in it. You aren't made to sit in it. You may have scars, you may have tears, but the question and the call that Jesus says to the crippled man is the same to you. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well, yes or no? If yes, pick up your mat. Now, this, is, uh, this, this may involve counseling. This may involve difficult conversations. This may involve tears. And those scars may never, ever go away. But it's not meant to define you. Your pain was never meant to define you. The next interaction we see is, is Jesus crossing to the, the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. Some people followed him. He wasn't alone. A group of people followed him after seeing him heal the paralyzed man. Wouldn't you follow Jesus after you saw that? Now, if you've got a journal, and hopefully you did. If not, they're in the lobby. We'd love for you to have one. Finish reading chapter 5 because Jesus gets into some, a little bit of trouble because he healed that man by the religious folks of the day. It's, it's an incredible kind of transition to end chapter five. But this is what we see after he heals that paralyzed man. A group of people follow him. And this is what it says in in, uh, chapter six. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go 
among so many. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Now, if you're taking notes, or if you're just taking mental notes, draw a little line between verse 10 and verse 11. Because something must have happened there. Because we see Jesus say, have the people sit down. And then it says, Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. I wonder what happened between verse 10 and 11. I wonder what Jesus said to the boy, because I think he said this. Can I borrow your lunch? I promise to give it back. Can I borrow your lunch? I don't know about you guys, but I have a lot of stuff in my house. Y'all got a lot of stuff? Yeah, it's just a lot of stuff in my house. Like, I have a junk drawer that has just literal, well, not literal junk. Well, maybe, actually, yeah, this is, I just got some, like, uh, just mail, and um, I've got tape, almost done. I've got markers, I've got uh, cords that go to, we don't know. But here's the problem. If you throw them away, you're going to need it. You know, I got keys that I don't know what to. Like this thing right here, I don't even know what this is. It's like a little tube, a metal, a metal tube. I don't know what it is. It's to something, and I probably will need it one day. I've got gift cards in here that have no money on them. <laughs> but you know what? You just never know. You just ne- you never know when you're going, yeah, when you're going to need something like that. I declutter on the regular, and it just, my kids bring home stuff, I bring home stuff, and it's like, well, we gotta keep it. We gotta keep it. And, and some things are easy to throw away, and other things uh, are, are a little bit more difficult to throw away because I'm attached to them. Have you taken an inventory of your stuff? And I don't, I don't mean just in your, your junk drawer. Have you taken an inventory of your stuff in your life, your time and your possessions and your finances and your talents and your gifts and everything around you that really kind of makes up your life? Have you taken an inventory of those things? What are you holding on to? What's in the junk drawer of your life Where are you putting your time and your finances? Where are you putting your heart? This boy who brought enough food for himself. He he had his lunch packed for the day. And this man says, can I borrow your lunch? And he could have easily said, "Uh, no, I've got my lunch. I'm good. You figure, you didn't plan. I did. You didn't plan and I did. But his response to the call, can I borrow your lunch? Was, yeah, I'll give, I'll, I'll give you what I have. It may not be much compared to the 5,000, but I'll give you what I have. I'll give you what I brought. Now, what I'm, I'm not asking you to do today is I'm not asking you to sell all your possessions because I don't want to do that. I like some of my stuff. But what I am asking is for you to take inventory of what's in your life. What is your life built around? Is it stuff? Is it things around money and possessions? Are you stingy with your time and your gifts and your talents? The boy gave all he had. Maybe you feel like, well, I've given Jesus some. 
I'll give him a fish, but I'm not giving all. No, Jesus, sorry, you can have a little bit of this, but I'm keeping this. You can have my cords and my mail, but I'm keeping the tape and the markers for myself. Have you taken an inventory of what you have around you? It continues, after feeding the 5,000, Jesus went away to be by himself. He went away. But wouldn't you know, people followed him. People followed him. And it says this, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set, a, set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. Jesus is still off by himself. People are, are trying to get to him, but he wants to be by himself. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough for these disciples, these men in this boat. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, walking on the water. And of course, they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Then they were, were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat, boat reached the shore where they were heading. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Uh, I have this here. This is Bub Bub. All my kids had a Bub Bub. Actually, um, this is Olive's Bub Bub. She was the only one willing to part with it last night. My boys, who were seven and nine, were like, no. I was like, he's going to be on stage in front of people. And they're like, I don't care. If he doesn't sleep with me, the monsters will get me. They didn't say that. So, my, so, so from, from pretty much day one, Liam, my oldest, has had a bub-bub. And, uh, and we, got, we got really smart because we lost bub-bub one time. We had to buy another one. And so we thought, we'll buy two. Well, he found the second one, and then he needed both of them. At the, like if he just had one, it was bad. And then we were like, we'll buy multiple for the next child. So Jude had four. No, no, this is not a joke. He had four bub-bubs that he would like, you know, that would protect him at night. My kids could not sleep without bub-bub. Could not sleep, go to sleep without bub-bub. And uh, they were really sweet. But they're, yeah, they're older now. I'm like, when are you guys going to stop sleeping with bub-bub? Like, you're going to go to like a sleepover and be like, I got to get my bub-bub. I mean, that's fine, whatever. Uh, we're afraid of a lot of things. You and I, we're afraid of, of a lot. We read articles, and uh, some may be true, some may be false, but it scares us. We watch the news, we see posts, we have conversations with people and, uh, about, about things in life, about things around us locally, about things internationally, about things around the world, and they scare us. And rightfully so. They're scary things. But some of us like it. Really like it. Some of us build our life around these things. We build our life upon being afraid. It makes us feel a certain way. 1 Timothy 1.7 says this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Not a spirit of fear. Not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Of a sound mind. 
Why are you afraid? Why do you like to be afraid? I never understood people who liked scary movies or haunted houses. I hate that stuff. Uh, yeah, come on. It's terrifying. Why, why, would I, why, why am I paying for this? Jesus' call to the disciples was this. Will you let me on the boat? I know you're afraid, but will you let me on the boat? You're terrified. Will you let me on the boat? He didn't want his disciples to be afraid. God didn't design this life to be surrounded by fear, to be living in constant fear. He actually wants us to have hope in him. He wanted the disciples to have hope in him, comfort in, in him, assurance in him. And the same call is to us. Will you allow him to give you hope, to give you assurance, to give you comfort? Why are you afraid? Let him assure you and comfort you and be with you and give you a peace above all understanding. I never really understood what that meant in the Bible when it said peace above understanding. It's just like a peace that doesn't make sense. But I have it. I have it. You see, Jesus addresses, he addresses three things back to back to back that we need, that we, that we feel, that we, we, across the room, across the earth, we experience, that we experience pain, desires, and fear. Pain, desires, and fear. He touches on a need that we all experience. This, this thing that we all experience, regardless of if you're rich or poor, or your status, or your wealth, or your race, or your religious background, we all experience these things. Pain, desires, the stuff that we need, and fear. He addresses all three in his encounters with these people. And then he addresses our potential attempts to find a cure for these things. See, we're all looking for cures for these things. We have pain, so we look elsewhere for them. We want stuff, so we look elsewhere for those things. We're afraid, so we look elsewhere. And Jesus addresses those, those attempts that we're doing. He addresses the, the attempts, the healing for our pain. He's like, I know that you're looking for healing, I know, but you might be looking in the wrong place. He, he addresses provisions for our, our desires. I know you want stuff, but you might be looking in the wrong place. He addresses the comfort from our fears. I know that you want to be comforted, but you might be looking in the wrong place. And he explains all this perfectly in this idea of eating. Something that we all have to do. We all have to, to eat. He, he describes it in this way of, of hunger. Of hunger. Our hunger for, for healing or for attention from our pain. Our hunger for stuff, for our desires. Our hunger for comfort. Now, like I said, I have two uh, elementary age boys, and they eat a lot. They eat a ton. I eat a ton. It's crazy how much we eat in my house. 
We all have a hunger. I don't think it's a coincidence that these miracles happen in the way that they happen, in the time frame that they happen. He was addressing our hunger. He was addressing our hunger. People track down Jesus after he walks on water. They finally catch up to him. After he had done all three of these things, they catch up to him. And these are the same people who ate the bread and the fish from the miracle that Jesus had done. And this is what it says. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the son of man will give to you. Jesus says, do you want food that endures? Do you want to eat food that will cease your hunger? Yeah. My Costco bill would love that. Do you want food that will satisfy that hunger that you're really feeling? Yeah, of course I do. How do I, how, how? He says this. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This analogy is a call to why we search far and wide for the hunger that we experience. Like we, I actually ate some of this today. I'm not joking. It was really good. For the hunger that we feel, the, the, the way we've been searching our entire lives for things. You ever wonder why you still don't really feel satisfied after you've accomplished so much in life? You have an amazing career, a beautiful family, a great home, all the things that you thought this hunger in your gut was calling you to. And you get it. I got it. And you're still hungry. Everything you've accomplished, you built an amazing life, and you're like, ah, there's still something I'm missing. You've reached that rung of the ladder. Something's, it's not, it's not, it's not fully, it's just not there. It's because you've been eating the wrong bread. You've been eating the wrong bread. Jesus takes this analogy to a place that shocks a lot of people. He's talking about the bread of life, and, and he, he continues with his analogy. He says, whoever eats and drinks will abide in me. He says this, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He was talking about his sacrifice on the cross. People didn't understand at the moment. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said, very truly I tell you, 
Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. It got real twilight there. It got real vampire-like there. It's shocking to hear, but simply put, Jesus was trying to weed out some of the folks who only wanted the miracles that he could provide. He only wanted the miracles. You see, with him, him saying that, him saying, I am the bread of life, it's a call. And the call is this. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? Will you abide in me? Will you, will you walk with me? Will you spend time with me? And, and for some people, when they heard that, when they, when they heard about you know, drinking blood and stuff, they were like, it's too much for me. Rightfully so, it's a lot. It's too much for me, I'm out. I just wanted the miracles. I just wanted the cool stuff. I wanted to walk on water. I wanted some fish. I'm out. But others, they said, you know what, I'm in. Count me, count me in. Have you ever gone to the grocery store hungry? <laughs> it's, the, it's the worst. Everything looks good, right? Everything was good. Even things that you don't like, like cantaloupe, oh, I'd, I'd crack that sucker right open and out. I hate cantaloupe. I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. Thin mints? I'm just thinking of the two things I hate the most. <laughs> yeah, like a York peppermint patty, I hate it. But when I'm hungry, that sounds amazing. Everything looks great. When you're hungry, you'll try anything. But have you ever tried to make dinner plans after you just ate? That's pretty, I mean, we've all done that, right? Wait, just me? No, you're like at breakfast or something and you have dinner plans at night, but you just ate and you're like, nothing sounds good. No restaurant sounds good right now because I'm full. No restaurant or, or food or, or type of food Nothing sounds good to me because I am full. If you've had the bread of life, nothing else seems, seems good. If you've had the bread of life, if you've experienced this relationship that Jesus is offering, nothing else quite satisfies that hunger. Nothing else satisfies that hunger. Now, if you have it, everything seems good. Everything seems good, right? If you haven't experienced that bread of life, everything seems, seems good until you eat it and realize, I'm hungry again. I'm still hungry. I've tried everything, but I'm still hungry. And Jesus is saying, hey, I know. You were made this way. You were made for a relationship with me. You were made to walk with me. You were made to abide in me. I am the bread of life. Abide in me and you will never be hungry. You'll stop searching. Sure, you may have built this amazing life, but without me, you still feel empty inside. You still feel empty inside. So for our pain, the call is will you let Jesus heal you? 
Will you let him heal you? Will you put your attention aside, put, your, put your, the, 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 the comfort of the crutches aside enough for him to heal you? For our desires, our desires for stuff, for things, for possessions, for money, for wealth, for status, will you let Jesus be what you need? Will you let him be what you need? And for fear, will you allow Jesus to be your hope? Will you allow him to be your hope? Your pain and your desires and your fears are real. But the gospel calls us to something. It's a call to us. When God sent Jesus to live and to die, he put the ball in our courts. What is your response? Now hear me, it's not that you will never feel pain ever again. That's not, that's not true. You will. It's not that you will never want things again. You will. Trust me, you will want things again. It's not that you will never be afraid again. You will be. But it's that, that, that your life will not be defined by those things. Your life will not be defined by the pain you've experienced or the stuff that you've had or you have or the stuff that you do. And your life will not be defined by the fear that surrounds you. Your life will be defined by him. By him and what he's done and the relationship that he offers the call that he gives, will you follow me? Will you abide in me? Will you have a relationship with me? That's what our life can be defined by. And how sweet of a life that is. Will you pick up your mat? Will you let me borrow your lunch? Will you let me on the boat? That's his call. Those are his calls to you today. What is your response? Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.